Hello, hello, welcome to Griff Talks Football. Of course, your host Griff here. Um, so, I just want to say that I did upload reviewing of Week 10, previewing Week 11, and then talking about the 49 receivers a couple, couple of days ago. Uh, but I decided to re-upload this again, uh, just because there were some details I left out and screwed up on a couple things. But nevertheless, if you already listened to that episode, thank you. If you haven't, feel free to listen to this episode. Um, I've also uploaded uh, today's episode of of my series One Take, Episode 4, talking about Kirk Cousins and football being a team sport or a team game, as well as a little bit about Dak Prescott. Um, but yes, feel free to listen to those. But nevertheless, I'm going to start off with reviewing of Week 10. So last Sunday's games... As well as last Thursday night game, not the Steelers versus Browns, uh, the previous one, Chargers versus Raiders, in which I'll talk about the uh, Steelers versus Browns on my next episode on Wednesday. And nevertheless, to start this off, Chargers versus Raiders, Phillip Rivers threw three interceptions. Which was interesting. He's going against a 31st ranked secondary that has barely forced any turnovers. Uh, the defense doesn't get really any sacks. They're near the bottom of the league of forcing or getting to the quarterback, forcing sacks. And Phil Rivers has targets of his own. He's got Keenan Allen. He's got Hunter Henry. He's got Austin Eckler, Melvin Gordon. He's got Mike Williams. He's got several other targets that he can throw to. And yet, he struggled because the Raiders were actually able to at least have a pass rush that game. They were able to get to Phil Rivers. Remember, Phil Rivers is really old, at least in the football world. He's 38 and or 37, 38 years old. And he is not athletic. He's not mobile, so you got to rely on identifying what the defense is doing and getting the ball out quick, or getting the ball out quickly. And he got sacked several times, and again, through three interceptions, one of them turned into a touchdown, which gave the Raiders the lead, and they maintained the lead for the majority of the game up until the Chargers came back, took the lead, only for the Raiders to take the lead back by Josh Jacobs' touchdown which the Raiders didn't have the best offensive showing either. Now, offensively, they scored 19 points. But had Phil Rivers not threw a pick, the Chargers would have probably won 24-19, something along the lines of that, or at least that's what the scoreboard was indicated. But nevertheless, the Raiders won 26-24 after the Raiders' defense got stopped, uh, got a stop on fourth down against the Chargers. But nevertheless, congrats on the Raiders winning that. Raiders move on to five and four. The Chargers are now four and five, or four and six. Sorry, four and six. Giants versus Jets. Jets get their second win. Um, nothing much else this game other than Darnold had a nice game. Daniel Jones threw four touchdown passes for the Giants, but nevertheless, the Jets defensively were able to force some were able to force some turnovers. Turned one of them into a touchdown, won 34-24. And, again, they got their second win, but both teams are bad. 
Jets are two and seven, and Giants are now two and eight. Falcons versus Saints. Uh, Falcons led the entire way. Yeah, this is the first time ever this season, I believe, that the Falcons actually led and then kept the lead throughout the game. They whooped the Saints 26-9. It was a defensive effort, really. They sacked Drew Brees six times. Uh, they forced a turnover. They forced several fourth downs, stops. They also, or turnover and downs, if you will. They didn't have the Saints or allow the Saints to get any third down conversion. And also, the Falcons were able to run the ball successfully in their own right and maintain the lead. It was all clock management from there on, while also, again, trying to score points. But again, great effort by the Falcons. Um, sad performance by the Saints. But nevertheless, the Saints are still in good playoff position and a 7-2 record. Uh, the Falcons... I'm not sure they'll make it. They're at 2-7. I mean, never say never, but still, it's such a low probability at this point for the Falcons to make an eight-game winning streak and make the playoffs. Playoffs, But if they do, congrats. If they don't, well, that's their own damn fault. <laughs> Chiefs versus Titans. Pound the rock, said the Titans. Well, I'm not sure they actually said that, but Derrick Henry at 23 carries for buck 88 as well as two rushing touchdowns. I, yeah, two rushing touchdowns, I believe. And Titans end up winning 35 to 32. Now, again, the Chiefs had the lead in this game. All right, they, they were up 32 to 28, and then he went for a field goal, and there was a botched snap, and the placeholder messed it up, or some of the long lines of that, there was a miscommunication, threw the ball away, intentional grounding, gave a better field position for the Titans that just came back, scored a touchdown, and then the Chiefs went down the field, got in the field goal range, and then it was blocked. So there were some special team turnovers there. But also, Patrick Holmes, he had a near-perfect game, threw over 400 yards, three touchdowns, and yet still lost because the Chiefs' defense couldn't stop the Titans from running the ball. The Chiefs ran more offensive plays than the Titans did, and yet they lost. Again, they had a higher time of possession compared to the Titans, and yet they lost because the Titans had more plays that went over 20-plus yards than the Chiefs did and, again, scored touchdowns. And evidently still put themselves in position to only catch up and then took the lead. So again, congrats on the Titans winning. They're 5-5. Five and five. Chiefs are 6-4. and four. Ravens versus Bengals. Uh, Lamar had his stats in this game. He had a nice spin move for a touchdown. He had 15 out of 17 completion and attempts wise for over 200 yards, some, uh, 200 yards passing, you know, Two touchdowns and a rushing touchdown against a now 0-9 team. And so the Bengals, despite having a bye week, despite having time to prepare for opponent, just got pummeled by the Ravens. Browns versus Bills. I can't trust Freddie Kitchens yet. I can't. And despite winning 19-16... Uh, they were at the one-yard line. 
about eight times and only scored three points. So they went for it on fourth and goal with the toss play that Freddie Kitchens had called on a first and goal and didn't get it. And so they decided to call this again and didn't get it. Then was at the goal line again and fourth and goal, false start, and then field goal was kicked. I'm not sure if that false start was on purpose. I'm not sure if it was, you know, of course, by accident. I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell. I do feel like they were in a formation where I felt like it wasn't the best formation to use or personnel to use in that situation to put themselves in for a touchdown. But nevertheless, despite winning this game, I still don't trust Freddie Kitchens. There has been too many times where I felt he handled the situation in a game poorly, whether it was going for it, whether uh, on fourth down, whether it was calling a timeout at the wrong stage of the game, whether or whether calling a play didn't work only to go back and try to call that play again. Um, to when you called it two plays prior and, and, and it didn't work. And there's still not an identity offensively for, for the Browns. We know what the identity of the Browns defense is. We know what that is. It's blitzing. It's blitzing, saying your gap really. It's not really so much gap control. I mean, any defense is gap control. That is the basis there. You certainly don't want to um be beaten by the run and you still don't want to be beaten by the pass but it's definitely blitzing defense that relies heavily on their pass rush their corners are good don't get me wrong but that is the identity defensively again offensively there is no identity we know it's run the ball we know that's a generic term to say it's running the ball because they have good backs and nick chubb and kareem hum a hunt uh who by the way played his first game since suspension he did okay uh, with the snaps he was given but again there's not an identity as to Oh, this is a zone scheme with multiple tight end sets and, and, and multiple back sets with, with a fullback. This isn't a RPO system. This is not an air raid system. This is not your standard one back personnel system where it is a zone scheme, but then you want to spread the defense out wide as much as possible. It's, it's, it's none of that. We've seen some of that, but it's been inconsistent. His inning, Freddie Kitchens will call a pass play, you know, three straight times, all of its incompletions. Then you see a play action pass from Baker Mayfield on their center, and then it's completed for, for 30 plus yards. Wherever the case may be, it's inconsistent. Again, we know it's running, but there's no established identity. And so that's why I still don't trust Freddie Kitchens when calling plays just yet. I still don't trust that. But nevertheless, congrats to my Browns winning that game. Cardinals versus Bucks. Despite James Winston's turnovers, Bucks win. Winston threw a couple picks. He fumbled the ball, but the Cardinals were able to. I'm not sorry, not Cardinals. The Bucks were able to run the ball late in the fourth quarter and get the lead. 
They still have good receivers in, in Godwin or Goodwin as well as Mike Evans. But again, they're going against a porous Cardinals defense. But James Winston's play is still inconsistent. However, the Cardinals weren't able to take the advantage on all the turnovers that they forced to turn into touchdowns. Uh, it did come down to one last play in the game, but Kyler Murray threw an incomplete pass and tight coverage. I felt like they were trying to get out of bounds there. Um, but nevertheless, when the ball hit the ground, the clock kicked zero, and that was the end of the game, 30-27. to Lions versus Bears. Mitch finally throws some touchdown passes, but he still throws 100 yards. So he threw a little bit over 100 yards passing with three passing touchdowns, which again, congratulations. He hasn't thrown a passing touchdown since week five. But it's again a poor defense, which congrats, but you should have far better success with the targets that you have. And evidently that wasn't a case because the game was still 30 to, I mean, not 30, 20 to 13. Yes, there was a mix, a miss, extra point by a Bears kicker. And there was a backup quarterback. Matthew Stafford was not in that game. But nevertheless, it came down to the final drive with the Lions having the ball only for them to get sacked and, and ran out of time. So again, congrats to the Bears, but that's that's terrible. The fact that you won, but it doesn't feel like you dominated is still, that's terrible. Colts versus Dolphins. Dolphins are now on a two-game winning streak. Yes, they are 2-7 and seven right now. They forced a couple turnovers against the Colts uh, because Brian Hoyer played quarterback. I'm not saying he's trash, but I would say probably not as consistent or as good as Jacoby in terms of art and talent, in terms of athleticism. But the Dolphins' defense came prepared and were opportunistic. The only question came to be, why didn't the Colts run the ball more? I mean, obviously, they may have a different game plan, but if running the ball was working, and Martin Mack almost had 100 yards rushing and was having a 5-point-something yards per carry average against the Dolphins' run defense, you would think that you would just run the ball. But evidently, uh, they didn't, and Dolphins secondary were able to take advantage of Hoyer's passes by being able to intercept those. I'm not saying they were lame ducks, uh, but some of them were inaccurate. Some of them were bad decision-making by Brian Hoyer, and the defense, again, were opportunistic. And the Dolphins offense did just well enough to win 16-12. to so thank you, Dolphins, for giving the Colts another loss so that, or a loss so that the Texans can be 1.5 games ahead of the Colts uh, in the AFC South division. Panthers versus Packers. Uh, the Packers capitalized two turnovers and made a goal line stand. Now, Chris McCaffrey still had over 100 yards rushing and 33 yards receiving as long as, as well with a uh, rushing touchdown. That was Christian McCaffrey's worst game, and yet that was still a good game. So for the Packers, they did everything they could to hold Christian McCaffrey down. They were opportunistic on a Kyle Allen pass that was intercepted, and then a mishandled snap that the Packers recovered 
turned them to points. I believe both of them ended up being touchdowns. Aaron Jones had three rushing touchdowns on the ground, but this game was still close. It wasn't, and the Packers didn't turn over the ball offensively. They struggled on third down. I think this what kept the Panthers in this game was not only their defense being able to at least get some sacks or at least force fourth downs or third and longs and not allow a first down, but uh, as well as being able to at least run the ball late in the fourth quarter to get some points. And they did just enough to get first and goal off of some Packers penalties with four seconds left on the clock to be able to get a touchdown. And they ran it only to be one yard short. Packers did enough again to handle Christian McCaffrey. Packers again move on to eight and two. Panthers five and four, uh, as their uh, as for the record. And but you, you got to ask yourself. I felt as though the Packers should have been more dominant than the stats appear. So again, it was a great game, but we have to be aware of can the Packers improve. On that, can he actually blow out a team? Because they haven't, I don't think in their schedule, they haven't blown out a team just yet. It's been an offensive shootout or it's been a defensive battle and the offense did just enough to get the win. So, that's the question there. Rams versus Steelers. Uh, why wasn't Gurley in the fourth quarter? Granted, before the fourth quarter started, Gurley had 12 carries for 73 yards with an average of 6.1 yards per carry. And yet wasn't in the fourth quarter. Didn't touch the ball once. The pass rush from the Steelers were getting to the Rams. Jared Goff was throwing some picks. Jared Goff was under pressure for most of the game. Now granted there were some play action passes he able to complete. But still got sacked on some of them. Cooper Cup didn't have a single reception in this game. And yet, your best player overall, I would argue Todd Gurley, was not in the fourth quarter. The backup running back was in, and yet was not even effective as Todd Gurley. So you got to ask yourself, if the Steelers' run defense was by far the weakness on that defense in that game, run the ball. If their pass defense was by far the weakness in that game, which it wasn't, but if it was, then by all means, find ways to pass the ball effectively, whether it's passing short that they're having trouble with, whether it's defending the deep ball that they're having trouble with, whether it's crossing routes they're having trouble with, different variations, by all means, sure, go for that. But they were not struggling defending the pass. They were not struggling on getting out to the quarterback. This thing they struggled on was defending the run. Now, granted, the scoreboard was still tight enough to where the Rams could have taken the lead because it was 17-12. to 12. All they had to do was score a touchdown, and yet... In the last drive of the game for the Rams offense, Jerry Goff threw a pick because it was bounced off a defender's hand and went into another one. Uh, and the Steelers just kneeled the clock and that was it. They just kneeled the ball and that was it. Which again, I feel like had the Rams, or at least with Sean McVay calling plays, had he stuck with Todd Gurley, I feel like the game would have been different. I feel like the Rams would be able to win the game, but now their offense is inconsistent. And last, but definitely not least, the Vikings versus Cowboys. Dak put on a show, but the Vikings win. All right, Dak Prescott was three yards shy of throwing 400 yards, so he threw for 397. 
A couple of touchdown passes. I believe he threw three touchdowns and then threw a pick at the end of the game because it was a Hail Mary attempt and the Vikings intercepted the pass. But the Dallas Cowboys defense could not stop the run. And that's what the Vikings did. They just ran it down their throats. Kirk Cousins had a good game, threw over 200 yards, threw two touchdown passes, didn't turn over the ball, and again was efficient. I believe he had nearly 70 percentage completion-wise. So again, 70 completion percentage-wise. And yet, after that game, the narrative has become Dak Prescott is way better than Kirk Cousins. Which again, you can just go and click on my other episode of my One Take Episode 4, Kirk Cousins in a Team Game, in which you can hear me speak about that. But... You can hear me speak about that in more detail by clicking on the episode. But as I end this reviewing week 10, Dak Prescott is not a far better QB than Kirk Cousins. They're both equal, but I give the advantage to Kirk Cousins in terms of what he's had to deal with and making the most out of the things he's had to deal with in his career. He's been part of a dysfunctional organization with the Redskins. He was with the Vikings again last season but was the reason why the Vikings were even in the playoff positioning to begin with uh, up until the last week of the season and then ended up losing the Bears. But he put up gaudy numbers, great stats, better than Dak Prescott. And we we deemed Dak Prescott as better QB because he had a good game. We deemed him because he's won more in the past two years than Kirk Cousins. You know, Dak Prescott happened to be in a, a very stable organization with, at the time, better players than the Vikings have. But evidently, both rosters are similar. But Kirk Cousins has done far more with that roster than Dak Prescott. But that is the end of reviewing Week 10. It's time to move on to previewing Week 11. Browns versus Steelers. Pound the rock by both teams. Look for the Browns versus Steelers uh, to just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, uh, and try to score points that way. Um, they certainly don't want the pass rush to get to any of their QBs. Um, I feel like Baker Mayfield has the advantage when it comes to uh, playing against Mason Ruff just because of arm strength, just because of somewhat athletic ability. Just because he's got more starts under his belt. And he's got far more better targets compared to Mason Rudolph. But nevertheless, look for both teams to pound the rock. Because they have good run blocking by both offensive linemen. They have good backs. So look for it to be a very close game. Jets versus Redskins. Uh, Look for the run game against the Jets defense. Redskins have not scored a touchdown in the past six games. They have not been able to pass the ball effectively, and they're starting Dwayne Haskins against a Jamal Adams-led defense. So, they're going to run the ball, do their best to run the ball to keep away from not only Dwayne Haskins trying to carry them or trying to help them or trying to perform at such a or at least having him have to perform perfectly because that Jets defense is very underrated this season. They're actually good, I would say. Um, but nevertheless, they're going to run the ball. 
and keep the Jets' offense off the field as much as possible, too. Because that, that Redskins defense is terrible, and, uh, and Sam Darnold's got targets to throw to. And if his O-line does perform well, Sam Darnold will by far have, a, have his best statistical game of his career. This is the opportunity to do it right here. Jaguars versus Colts. Jacoby Brissett is ruled out. And Nick Foles is coming back. Um, look for the Colts offensively to you know run the ball, of course. And look for the Jaguars to get Nick Foles in a comfortable position to succeed. Now, granted, that is the overall thing in this game. It's Nick Foles coming back. So we'll wait and see if uh, the start for Nick Foles was the right decision. I know he signed a huge contract, but Gardner Shoe has played okay uh, for the Jaguars in terms of passing yardage, in terms of completion percentage, in terms of passing touchdowns, not throwing that many picks. But he did have a terrible game against the Texans. And he's also fumbled the ball a lot, not only just under center, but also being sacked. So, uh, that's part of the reason why they sticked with Nick Foles in this game. But, excited to see what comes out of this. Bills versus Dolphins. Will the Dolphins miss, uh, I'm sorry. Will the Dolphins maintain the lead this time? Remember, a couple weeks ago, the Dolphins faced the Bills and had a lead at the Bills Stadium, only to give it up 17 unanswered points, I believe. And the Bills end up winning 31-21. Now they're playing at the Dolphins Stadium. Dolphins are feeling hot. Dolphins are on two-game winning streak. Bills just lost to the Browns. Bills are trying to prepare to face the Dolphins. So, here we go. I look more focused on not only if the Dolphins can maintain the lead by you know running the ball, of course, um, but also see if they can connect in some play-action passes to get Ryan Fitzpatrick in the most comfortable position to succeed, but also look for the defense to kind of be the star of the game against the Bills' offense. The Bills are going to try to run the ball. Um, they are certainly going to try to connect on play-action passes again, like they did last time facing the Dolphins. So, but nevertheless, look to see if the Dolphins can maintain a lead and not give it up this time. Cowboys versus Lions. Um, it's been said that Matthew Stafford would not return. So, look for the Cowboys offensively to take advantage over the weaknesses of the Detroit Lions defense. And look for the Lions to try to put themselves in the best situation to help Jeff Driscoll uh, succeed with the targets he has. Um, but again, he's gonna, he's facing the Dallas Cowboys pass rush and Lions offensive line is not one of the best in the NFL when it comes to pass protection. So obviously Stafford's not returning, but will we see Jeff Driscoll succeed with the targets he has, with the weapons he has? Texans versus Ravens, Deshaun Watson versus Lamar Jackson. Collegiately, Lamar Jackson had the better stats facing Deshaun Watson, but Deshaun Watson obtained the wins, of course. Of course, one, rest, one roster was better than the other. Deshaun has uh, better arm strength release accuracy compared to Lamar Jackson, but Lamar Jackson is by far the better athlete. 
But this is, should be an exciting matchup. Uh, matchup. Look for the Texans' run defense to try to contain the rushing offense of the Ravens and see if they can make them throw it without using play-action passes. As for the Texans, Will Fuller is out, so look for the Texans as they've done always, with even with Will Fuller out, and they still have DeAndre Hopkins, is to pass the ball short to intermediate crossing routes. Now, again, they also run the ball pretty well. And he used a lot of re-options and a lot of shotgun formations with certain personnel with two tight ends, two receivers, or three receivers, one tight end, one running back. And they run the ball that way. But again, their bread and butter is definitely inter- intermediate passes, intermediate throws, or or even short throws to not only get the ball quick, but to then also set up the intermediate throws to at least hold the ball a little bit longer. But also, again, those those passes are going to shut, uh, set up the, the deep shots or at least set up to where there's not enough people in the box to where the Texans take advantage of just running the ball up the gut or use read options to get Deshaun Watson out of the pocket for him to run or for him to pitch it out or for him to throw it, of course. If they're not running the ball, if they're doing a play action, some sort of things like that. But again, look for the Texans to pass the ball against the Ravens secondary that's been average at best. We're now trying to defend DeAndre Hopkins, Kenny Stills. Um, also with Darren Fells and the running backs that the Texans have. And look for Lamar Jackson to try to also take advantage of the Texans sec- secondary that's been injury riddled. But to also again save their bread and butter by just pounding the rock and play action. Nevertheless, that should be a very exciting matchup. Falcons versus Panthers. Pass rush is key in this game. The Falcons are coming off a game where they had six sacks. They're going to try to get to Kyle Allen by stopping the run. The Panthers are also trying to get to Matt Ryan. Um, So look for the Falcons to try to run the ball to keep the pass rush at bay. That way, if they can force Carolina to blitz a lot or they can force Carolina to sneak up on the run, and throw it over the top. But again, pass rush is key. What's also key is who can handle the pass rush better. Um, you know, if... Um, you know, if... Uh, I'm stuttering here, but I'm saying if Matt Ryan can handle the pass rush... But also look for Kyle Allen and try to handle that pass rush. If he can, great. I'm just saying... Based on experience and reading coverages and and feeling the rush and, and, and shit like that, um, Matt Ryan definitely has that advantage. Saints versus Bucks. Will the Saints be able to attack vertically? They have only, I believe, only have one play going over twenty yards. No, no, I'm sorry, about four, four or five plays going over twenty yards, which is one of the worst statistical. Elements for statistical things that they have, which is in the bottom league in the NFL. It's bad. In this day and age, you need to be able to throw the ball vertically, especially if you're a running team, which the Saints have now been converted into a running team that used to be a pass-heavy team with also play actions out of any personnel formations. But they are now a run-heavy team. 
so if you want to if you want people to avoid the box and just run the ball, or if you want people to come in into the box and be able to throw the ball by play action, throwing it quick or something to take advantage of those numbers, you need to throw it vertically. Now granted the Saints have had success by just throwing intermediate routes and keeping the chains moving, but eventually those defenses, as we saw from the Falcons of not only getting after the QB, we're also able to cover those routes, those intermediate routes with no problem because they not only stick to their gaps, but that linebackers were not necessarily sucked up in the run. They were just waiting, just waiting, and then dropped back. The Saints also didn't establish the run that much. So again, look for them to establish the run, but they're going to try and attack vertically. The Buccaneers have one of the worst secondaries in the NFL. And we know that despite James Winston's turnovers, I guarantee you he will throw an interception or fumble it or make a bad decision. I guarantee you with the receivers that they have and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin that they're going to throw it deep. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are by far one of the best wide receiver tenders in the NFL right now, statistically, because Mike Evans almost has a 1,000 yards receiving and Chris Godwin almost has a thousand yards receiving as well. So those receivers are always getting the ball when Jameis Winston is throwing. So look for the Saints to attack vertically. Broncos versus Vikings. A run game versus a run defense. Both teams are going to run the ball. Just one offense is better than the other. Both teams have great secondaries and great run defense. So it's also going to come down to which game plan is going to work, which teams they will run the ball more successfully that accumulates to getting points, mostly touchdowns, but if they get a field goal necessary, then they get a field goal, but also which QB plays better. And this should be in Kirk Cousins' favor. This should give Kirk Cousins the advantage. No matter if Joe Flacco is playing, no matter if Brandon Allen is playing, Kirk Cousins by far have made the most of what he can with that roster. And that roster is great. Offense, uh, well, both sides of the ball, but since Kirk Cousins played offense, it's not like he can play on the defense. He is a QB after all. But I'm seeing with the targets that he has and Adam Thielen potentially coming back, he's got weapons to throw to. He's got tight ends. Again, he's, uh, he's got skilled players that are pretty good. And he's got a great offensive line now, the way they're playing. And he's got Dalvin Cook. So, again, look for Kirk Cousins to also make a difference in that game in a positive manner for the Vikings. But nevertheless, look for it to be a defensive battle slash running game um, in this uh, particular um, game. Cardinals versus 49ers. Another close game. Remember, last time 49ers and Cardinals met, it was Thursday night football a couple weeks ago, and the scoreboard was 28-25. And the 49ers won by being able to run the clock with no problem while also completing third down passes. And being able to still keep the ball and not turn it over and then ended up winning. So, look for the 49ers again. To try to run the ball against the Cardinals. Look for the Cardinals to try to uh, throw throw the ball with no problem. Um, because And also for them to try to keep a balance because the 49ers pass rush is relentless. The offensive line is not great. And again, look for the Cardinals defense to try to keep the run uh, as ineffective as possible against 
the 49ers. Um, so because that is their bread and butter, it's not only running the ball in his own scheme, multiple tight end and two back sets, but also again, being able to get those play action passes going by having the QB roll out or stay in the pocket with a bunch of crossing routes. Patriots versus Eagles. Both teams coming off a of bye. Who's more prepared? You got Bill Belichick, Doug Peterson. One thing to look for for Eagles offensively is to run the ball against that Patriots front seven. Obviously, no one, no run game is dynamic as the Baltimore Ravens. But by all means, by all means, um, they have Jordan Howard to pound the ball. Carson Wentz can run with no problem. And it's not like the Eagles have weapons to throw vertically. Same thing for the Patriots. Look for them to somewhat pound the ball, but also look for them to throw the ball quickly. Again, they have no vertical threat. That Eagles secondary is by far the worst in the NFL. So they may try to attempt to throw vertically, but they can just get away with just intermediate routes or short routes and the DBs and linebackers are struggling with that. That's going to be the Patriots' bread and butter all day. Not only are the Eagles' pass rush going to be neutralized by not getting after Tom Brady with those quick or intermediate throws, with also good prote- uh, good pass protection by the Patriots online, um, but but the Patriots are going to also just stick with that and score points through that. So one team is going to run the ball. Eagles, one team is going to pass the ball a lot quickly with intermediate routes as well. Uh, New England Patriots. And the Patriots defense are going to try to stop the run. And the Eagles defense are definitely trying to either A, get after Tom Brady as fast as possible. B, also just maintain their gaps and stop the run if they do call run play. And C, play tight coverage and hope that tight coverage helps and hope the DBs communicate well. So, but nevertheless, an exciting game. An exciting game. It's probably the game of the week, too. Uh, Bengals versus Raiders, much like the Cardinal, uh, I'm sorry, much like the Falcons versus Panthers, pass rush is key in this game. Both teams have terrible run defense, especially the Bengals are last in the NFL and defending the run and allowing rush yards per game. Um, so they're going to try to stop the run as much as possible against the Raiders. Obviously, they're going to run the ball. But in terms of third down situations, and also, just FYI, the Raiders struggle defending the run as well, and they struggle on getting after the QB. So there may be opportunities with the Bengals' weapons that they have to be able to throw the ball with no problem. But again, pass rush is key. The Raiders' pass rush can get after the QB. They'll run out the clock, score points, game over. However, if the Bengals defensively are able to get after the QB by forcing third and long situations, especially third and long, They'll still be in the game. So this pass, this game is going to be based on pass rush. Not just Raiders running the ball or Bengals running the ball, but it's going to be based or even throwing the ball. Well, it's going to be based on pass rush. Bears versus Rams. Will Gurley be more involved? He got taken out in the fourth quarter and never played again. The Rams offense is inconsistent. Their pass protection is terrible. Khalil Mack is going to be playing. That Bears defense is going to be firing all cylinders because they didn't know that Mitch Trubisky is trash. 
right? The Rams know that they're going to try to get their pass rush going, mix up the coverages to give Mitch Trubisky as much of a difficult time as possible to potentially get turnovers. But look, if you if Gurley has another game where he's got like 12 carries for 70-plus yards, averaging 6.1 yards per carry again, like the Steelers, and you take him out in the fourth quarter, that's going to give the Bears defense an advantage. So if he has a game like that again, will he stay in the fourth quarter? Will he play? And if he does, I don't imagine that he'll be kicked out. I'm hoping he doesn't. Not only one for my fantasy points, fantasy value, but number two for the sakes of the Rams getting a win and trying to stay consistent offensively. Chiefs versus Chargers. Another mistake game for Rivers. He's going against a bad secondary. It's a terrible run defense. The Chargers are also going to run. But look, you can just run, run, run if you want to. But if that team eventually stops to run, you're going to have to throw. And if you can't throw it effectively, then it doesn't matter because now that running game is relinquished. Uh, Patrick Holmes can now just throw the ball with no problem because he knows he's got amazing weapons. And and if they can establish a ground game too to neutralize that pass rush. But again, even with the Chargers' amazing pass rushers with Ingram and Joey Bosa and at least a good secondary, every team that I've seen thus far against the Chiefs when Patrick Mahomes plays, even with Matt Moore playing, struggles stopping that offense. So we know the Chiefs are going to score points. The question is, can Phillip Rivers play a mistake-free game. If he doesn't, the Chargers are going to lose. And that's about it for uh, previewing the Sunday matchups. Um, but as I end this episode, one game that I didn't talk that I was going to save for last was that Monday night game between the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. And the overall theme of that game is wide receivers dropping passes. Evidently, the Seahawks... Uh, gave the 49ers their first loss of the season. Now the 49ers are still ahead of their division, but the Seahawks are now only somewhat of a, of a game behind, a .5 behind because they beat the 49ers and have that division lead if the 49ers have the same record as the Seahawks. But evidently that's not the case because they only lost once. Seattle has lost twice. But a big portion of that was receivers just dropping passes. Like, if they didn't drop passes on third down situations, if they didn't drop passes on uh, on second down, or, or even big plays potentially, that game would have been a whole lot different. And we know it. That defense, the Seahawks defense, was struggling. I know the receivers were dropping passes, but Jimmy Garoppolo was doing the best he can what he got. And still threw over 200 yard, 240 yards passing in a touchdown. And was able to at least get the run game a little bit going to then still, you know, score, score points. I believe there was a rushing touchdown by someone as well. But for the 49ers offense. But I'm telling you, had the receivers not dropped passes, that game would have not been in overtime. That game in the fourth quarter, would have been taken over by the 49ers. And again, the game would have been over. But no, you got receivers like Debo Samuel, who had a good game, nine receptions for 112 yards. 
I never heard of Debo Samuel before. He dropped a couple passes. Kendrick Bourne had four receptions for 42 yards and a touchdown. Never heard of Kendrick, but he dropped two or three passes. Running back Tevin Coleman had four receptions for 32 yards. He dropped a pass. Ross Dwelly, he had three receptions for 24 yards. He's a tight end. He's definitely not as dynamic as George Kittle, who was out in this game. Um, but he didn't drop any passes, so good for him, I believe. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders had two receptions for 24 yards, but got out early in the game because of rib injury. But he didn't drop any passes. Running back Matt Bereda had two receptions for seven yards. Didn't drop any passes. Running back Raheem Mozart, one reception for seven yards. Didn't really get involved in the passing game. Dante Pettis had four drops. Four drops, no catches. A first-round pick. Was supposed to be the best receiver they got. But no, you're, I believe he's in year three, has done nothing. No, I'm sorry, year two under Kyle Shanahan has done nothing. Terrible. Terrible. Actually, no, he was drafted in 2017. I keep messing this up, but still, he's, ever since Kyle Shanahan has been there, which was 2017, uh, Pettis has been there, and he's been terrible. Fullback Kyle Juszczyk had a drop. Marquise Goodwin had a drop. He was the fastest receiver on the team. And as soon as he had that drop, he was out of the game. He wasn't even in anymore. How are you the fastest receiver on the team, but yet still have drops? I know speed has nothing to do with hands. I'm saying if you have that kind of speed, you have an advantage to not only work on your hands, become one of the elite receivers in the game. Again, Marquise Goodwin has not lived up to that expectation, especially for what the 49ers have. So I'm telling you, Hazard's 49ers receivers not drop terrible passes. Or, um, or not, I'm sorry, none of those passes, some of those passes were terrible and were not even in the hands of receivers in the area, but some of those passes were just pitch perfect. They were just on point, sharp, crisp, and the receivers, what did they do? Drop it. Had the receivers not dropped those passes in critical situations where it was third down or in the fourth quarter when the 49ers had somewhat of momentum, where they just were not dependent on just running the ball, hoping to gain some yardage, and none of that happened, the 49ers would have won this game, would have been 9-0. But no, these 49ers receivers are by far the weakness on this great roster, on this 8-1 team. And so if it gets to a situation where teams start to stack up on the run despite how well a zone scheme system is when run correctly and when used uh, in the right, I'm not going to say right way, but when used effectively, effectively. And the personnel that you use, whether there are multiple tight ends, whether there are multiple running backs, whether there are multiple heavy sets using the zone scheme, when used effectively, it's beautiful. But yet, when it stopped and you're forced to pass the ball on and you got receivers dropping passes, your offense becomes inept. They're ranked 24th in passing yards per game, and that's part of it. Now, they're ranked first in rush. No, I'm sorry. They're ranked second in rushing yards per game. So they're by far top 10 offense just based on the run. But I'm saying once you stop that run, and you can't go to play action as your security blanket as part of the bread and butter of that offense, you're going to struggle being effective. 
So that is about it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you already listened to my first, you know, if to my first edition of this episode, thank you so much. If you listened again, again, thank you so much. If this is your first time listening, again, thank you for just for just listening to this episode. I hope you're able to catch all these Sunday matchups. I know I will because I again love these games. Love the aspect of football in general. So again, thank you so much for listening and have a kick-ass day, y'all.